Thank you, Gary. And just as a reminder, the service is a little different today. It'll be a bit shorter. We're going to have a, a business meeting, a vote at the uh, end of this worship service. If you could stick around for that, we'd appreciate it. So it was one of the worst events in all of human history. And before it was even over, there was a cry that it should never be forgotten. And what I'm talking about is the Holocaust. In the Holocaust, I just found this out recently, there were 6 million Jews that died. However, there were a total of 11 million that were killed as a result of that Nazi effort to eliminate those they deemed at a certain level. And they knew they could not forget this moment. And the Jews, not knowing if they were going to survive in those ghettos, began writing furiously everything that had happened. So diaries and journals were found as they went in and they looked in all of these apartments and houses and rooms that these Jews had been living in. And every Jew at that point living in Germany and Poland became a historian, recording what it was that had happened. And the death camps and the crematoriums were left standing because they didn't want anyone to forget what it was that had happened. And how could they? As it turns out, many have. There was a, a data call, a survey that went out to 53,000 people in 101 countries asking about the Holocaust, if they'd heard of it. Of those 53,000, only 54% had heard of the Holocaust. And of that 54%, only one-third, or rather one-third, believed that it was either a myth or had been inflated and exaggerated. Because it's easy for things to become commonplace. And when they become commonplace, they can become misremembered and then forgotten. Today we're going to partake in something that many of you have done a thousand times. We're going to be taking communion this morning. And the same thing can happen with communion if we're not careful. It can become commonplace. It can become rote. And the reason we take it can become misremembered, and God help us if it's ever forgotten. Not only that, but there's oftentimes confusion around communion. Many people sit and wonder, well, I'm, am I worthy of taking it? Have I sort of been doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What does introspection before communion even look like? Am I supposed to be sitting here doing a spiritual autopsy on myself? So I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about three responses to communion. The passage we're going to look at comes from 1 Corinthians. We'll be at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll talk about verses 23 through 36, answering this question, how do I respond to communion? If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You can be seated. 
We're going to take a little break this morning from the series I've been doing, Moving Forward on Mission, because I want to focus on communion. I want to talk about these three responses to communion, three ways we should be thinking about communion whenever we're getting ready to take it, as we are going to be taking it this morning. So I want to start out with this first, and actually we see it there in verse 24, very simply, do this in remembrance of me. As a matter of fact, we pulled the table out of mothballs this week to have the message in front of you or put the communion plates on that table. The question is, okay, what exactly are we remembering? Well, simply put, we're remembering both the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We're remembering who he was, that he came down to earth fully human. He was not human before he was born of the Virgin Mary. He became human, and then he sacrificed himself. He died for our sins as a sacrifice, and God laid all those sins on Jesus Christ as though he was the one who had committed all of them, the worst ones you can imagine, and he paid that debt. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So we remember Christ. There was a story told, it's a, in a book called the, the Tardy Ox Cart, about a little girl named Monica that lived in Africa. And she was out playing, and she fell into a pit, and she broke her leg. And there was a woman nearby, they called her Mama Najari. She was sort of like the, the village mother, and she saw what happened. She looked in the pit, and she saw Monica laying there with a broken leg. She also saw a huge snake in that pit. It was a black bomba. So immediately this woman jumped into the pit too. The snake bit them both. They were rushed to the hospital, and Monica, this was a missionary-run hospital there in Africa, Monica began to improve. However, Mama Najari, she, she died in this this nurse came, and Monica was wondering, well, the snake bit us both. How come I'm doing okay, and, and she's dying? And the, the missionary nurse began to explain to her, well, see, when that snake bit Mama Najari, all of the poison went into her. That way, none of it would go into you. You see, that's what Jesus did. He took all the poison for us. He took all the judgment, all the sin on himself so that you and I wouldn't suffer the consequences of it. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're unsure about what your eternal destination is, don't hesitate to come talk to me after the service today. So we remember Christ. We remember who he was. We remember what it was that he did, unselfishly giving his body sacrifice for us. So we remember him in the act of communion and I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 11, talk about this other uh, meditation that should occupy us during this time of communion. We catch it down uh, further in chapter 11, in verses 27 through 30. And it says there, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, what's going on here? In this church, there's this warning that comes in verse 29 that you can eat and drink judgment 
on yourself. Paul goes on to say, that's why many of you are weak and sick and quite a few are dead. So what is this unworthy manner that it's being talked about here? And this has a lot to do, and I'll explain this, on how we treat others. The second meditation is reflect on how you treat others. And let me explain this. See, there was a big problem at this church in Corinth. Back when they would take communion at this time, they would have a meal first. It was called an agape meal. And they would bring it along with them. Each family would bring this meal with them. Then they would eat it. Then they would take communion. Well, many of them were flaunting how much they had with what they brought in this meal. And they kept it to themselves. So you had these affluent people eating a meal together. And they weren't looking out for other people and what they had. And then we see this self-centered indulgence. And then picking back up in verse 20. It says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So this is a kind of a, a strange and unique activity that was going on. I mean, you've got this group of people. You've got the haves who are getting together to have a lot. They're eating this wonderful meal, and they're even getting drunk. I mean, that's, that's bad, right? I mean, showing up at the church and getting sauced, and they've become divided because some people don't have anything to eat. And this so flies directly into the face of the gospel that Christ did all this for us, that we enjoy a reconciled relationship to the Father because of what Jesus has done, which also reconciles and allows us to forgive each other. And yet, what's happening? There's a group that has zero regard for another group in the church, and they become divided. This did not go unnoticed by the Lord. You know, the root word of communion is community. There's a reason that we gather together and we take it together because the church is relationships. It's our unity together. And God sees what's going on here. And now these people are under judgment. And you can see from this passage the heaviness and the gravity and the importance of communion. Notice it wasn't because of the sermon they were being judged or the music or not having too many or having too many or not enough programs. And this act of communion is extremely important. As a matter of fact, a group of us came together this past week to, to have like a communion rehearsal because it's important how we gather it and take it and distribute it. There's something special that happens during communion. Now, interestingly, the, the passage doesn't condemn the affluent crowd for being affluent. He just says down in uh, verse 34, he says, If anyone's hungry... Let him eat at home, so that when you assemble, it does not lead to judgment. I will give directions about other matters when I come. So these divisions are happening. And uh, you know, for the most part, we've taken care of this problem with how we do communion, right? We, we distribute it to you. It's not like you all brought your own potluck items and your bottle of booze to have before you take communion. Um, it doesn't happen that way. However, there is a need here to not become disunified, isn't there? There's an important aspect of this, that our hearts aren't turned against each other. 
And there are so many social issues creeping into American culture today that is dividing the church. And it's killing the church. And it does not have to be that way. I don't care what issue it is, and there's many, God would not have us be divided. But this unworthy manner in which we're talking about, uh, again, um, it's, it's handled by how we distribute communion. But just remember, a church ceases to be a church when we start dividing up among our own ideologies. You can have a club. You can have an action committee, but you don't have a church. So we reflect on how we treat others. Primarily asking yourself the question, do I have a concern for others here at our church? The disadvantaged, those among whom I disagree with. So we reflect, and then finally we rejoice. We rejoice over what's to come, and this is so cool. Um, there's something coming in the future, and it's so wonderful that the act of communion just gives us a little hint about what's coming. And Christ alludes to this, uh, this future event in Matthew chapter 26, verse 29. He's talking to his disciples, and he just had the Passover meal with them. He just passed it out. Judas has left. And look at what he says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 29. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what's going on here? Well, then he goes further, or rather in the book of Revelation, it goes further. In chapter 19, there's this description of something called the, the wedding celebration of the Lamb. And it says there in chapter 19, verse 9, this is when Lord Jesus will, will finally be reunited. He comes to earth. He's united with his church. It says, The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. You see, every single time you and I take communion, we all do it together. We all eat a little bit because this is a picture of what's going to happen in the heavenly kingdom when it's not just us. It's all of our loved ones gathered together who knew Christ and we're finally going to be united together with them in this huge, glorious meal together. Communion is just a hint of that. You know, it's kind of like I remember at Christmas time, my mom, I would just, I'd get really anxious before Christmas. Am I going to get that thing I wanted, the Atari, whatever it was growing up? And my mom knew I was like this, so for one week, one year, she gave me a little present each day that I could open up until Christmas morning came, the big day when I'd get whatever it was. And it was just little gifts, right? It was like those pencils that have your name on them. I remember I got some of those in, a, in an E.T. folder. But those were just little samples, you know? It's like when you go to a, a mall and they've got a person giving you little samples of a meal you could get. That's what communion is. It's a little picture of this meal that's to come. This one that we're all going to take together. And it's a preview and you know what? There's people here in this congregation. I feel like I'm always meeting new people. And I'd like to spend more time with everybody in this auditorium than I get to. But I know that someday I'm going to have eternity to get to know everybody better. If I can't get to know them here, then I'll get to know them there. So just closing with these three responses to communion. Remember 
Remember what Christ did. Reflect how am I treating others. And then finally rejoice. Rejoice in this meal to come. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your, your willingness, Lord Jesus, to come and to sacrifice yourself for us. And I pray that we would celebrate that in a special way this morning as we take in this meal together. Amen.